is a challenge for me, a challenge for you as we move through dif different literary genres. So we were studying church history, then we moved to apocalyptic literature last Sunday, and now we are in poetry, Psalms. So may the Lord help us and help me to be clear, faithful. So Psalm 107. I want to invite you to stand if you can. Let's read the whole psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert, in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their, in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way, until they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the sons or the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Oh, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words, the words of God, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and burst their bonds, their chains apart. Oh, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Oh, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word, and He healed them and deliver them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. Let them exalt him, extol Him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. 
He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see and are glad, and all weakness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to the Lord our God. Today is January 1st, 2023, first Sunday of the year. And I think that would be very good and important for us to look back, look back to this past year, look up in gratefulness, and look ahead with hope. The same God who held us together this past year, He will continue holding us fast this coming year. And I think if Psalm 107 is a beautiful psalm for us to meditate, reflect upon, study, and understand how and why to give thanks to the Lord always. Psalm 107 was certainly the favorite psalm of the pilgrims as they left the shores of England coming to the new world. William Bradford, he used Psalm 107 to declare why they should celebrate with thanksgiving the mighty acts of the Lord and bring them safely here. John Newton, a Puritan from the 1700s, well known for the hymn that we just sang, Amazing Grace. If you know his life, you know all the tribulations that he went through as the Lord saved him from being the Lord of a slave ship, bringing slaves from Africa to other parts of the world. And we know Amazing Grace, but few of us know that actually Amazing Grace was written as a New Year hymn. As he meditates on the faithfulness of God in the past, he could look ahead that the same faithful God would keep persevering and preserving them. So, when he says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Coming straight from Psalm 107. So, I want all of us to join our voices and thank the Lord for His faithfulness, His goodness, His steadfast love towards us. Amen? So as you come to Psalm 107, uh, that's how I need to study. That's how it helps me to understand the text. So here's how the book, so you come into the book of Psalms, you understand one thing. The book of Psalms is actually divided into five major blocks. So you have five books inside the book of Psalms. And you can see that by how each book ends with a doxology. 
So each major portion, so we have book one, Psalms 1 through 41. Psalm 1 and 2 is the entrance into the Psalms. And one of the main themes there is David coming to the throne through persecution and suffering. And then you have book 2, that's Psalms 42 to 72. And here it talks about David's reign through Solomon's reign. And then you have book 3, Psalms 78 through 89, from Solomon to exile. Book 4, Psalm 90 through 106, the major theme here is exile, exilic reflections, thinking about what happened in exile. And that's why it opens with Psalm 90, God has been our dwelling place, a Psalm of Moses. Even in exile, God was still with his faithful people. And then book 5 from Psalms 107 to 150. And that's the new Exodus. Out of exile, a new David on the throne. Psalm, 10, Psalm 110. So, it's beautifully structured. It's, it's like you have a Torah. You have the five books inside the book of Psalms. Book 5, as we come to you, Psalm 107 is the opening of book 5. And it opens with a command for God's people to uh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. That's how book 5 opens. To praise God, to thank Him for His goodness, His faithfulness. The major theme of book 5, as I, I said, starting with 107, is God redeeming His people from exile. A new David on the throne, looking ahead to the Messiah to come. And look at how... Psalm, look at how book 4 ends. Look at Psalm 106. Look at verse 47. That's the cry of the exile, people in exile. So Psalm 106, verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Look at how now book 5 opens. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for His good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeem of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and done what? Look at verse 3. What, what did the Lord do? What did verse 46 requ requested? Gather us from the nations. Book 5 opens with the exodus taking place. Now we are gathered. And that's where we're going to thank you. So that's why you see this connection here. Psalm 107, therefore, is the entrance to the door of the final book of Psalms. Here the curtains are open with a call for the redeem of the Lord from the four corners of the earth to join their voices in a symphony of thanksgiving. And the symphony announced that the beginning, Psalm 107, will be performed with a grand finale towards the end of this book, Psalms 148 through 150. Okay, so that's where we are. That's where we find ourselves as we come to the book of Psalms. Thanking the Lord for bringing His people. A new section here. And the structure of the psalm, Psalm 107, uh, it's very beautifully structured. One commentator says, the psalm is a beautiful piece of liter literary art artistry. 
the exemplary psalm of thanksgiving in the Psalter. It's beautifully structured. So you have, first of all, the invocation to give thanks, then you have reasons for thanksgiving, and then you have an invocation to gain wisdom. And so you have this beginning, this end, and then in the body, it's amazing how it's structured because you can see in your Bibles. So look at from verses 4 through 32. Verse 4 through 32. And you see how the redeem of the Lord is divided into four groups. Remember, they're coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And now you have four groups in verses 4 through 32. And you can see in your Bible how, especially our English translations, they, they have verse 4, for example. Some wandered. Verse 10, some sat in darkness. Verse 17, some were fools. So you have four different groups. Those redeemed from the wilderness. Those redeemed from the chains of darkness. Those redeemed from foolishness and illness. And those redeemed from the chaotic waters. And in this, each group, one, each one of these four groups, there is a beautiful pattern where they are in a des desperate situation. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivers them. And then there is the command for them to thank the Lord. So you see this pattern taking place. So, as I hope you can see, and then you have from verse 33 through 42, becomes basically a wisdom psalm, giving the wisdom of the Lord, how he works his things. So let's go, here's the outline for me as I'm preaching. So we're going to be looking at the what, the what. What are we supposed to do? Thank the Lord. Who? Who is supposed to do that? The redeem of the Lord. And why? Why are we supposed to thank him? Because of his goodness and his hesed, his covenantal faithfulness towards us. Amen? Are you ready? So let's walk through the psalm. We have a lot to cover here. The what? Give thanks. So it opens with, the English translation has this, oh, this interjection. Oh, it's because it's an imperative calling everyone. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Yada. Very similar to where you have Judah, Judah. Yada, to give praise, to give thanks. The idea of this word in Hebrew is to proclaim publicly. You're declaring something publicly. Depending the context could be sin that you are declaring publicly. But here, and most of its use is to declare publicly the goodness of God, to thank Him, to praise Him. That's what we have here. And it's often used interchangeably with praise. So it could be praise, thanksgiving. Because thanks and praises are two sides of the same coin when we are worshiping the Lord. We are giving thanks, we are praising Him for who He is, giving thanks for His goodness towards us. And you think about thanksgiving. Idolatry is the opposite of thanksgiving. Ingratitude forms idols. And that's, you look throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10, he tells us to flee idolatry and come and celebrate the cup of thanksgiving. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul also contrasts idolatry with thanksgiving. Romans chapter 1, it's a clear, that's what we see in our society. People refuse to give thanks to the Lord and then end up 
enslaved to idols. Because when we give thanks to the Lord, we are giving the glory that He is due. And when we are ungrateful, when we do not give thanks, we are robbing Him of His glory that He is due. Martin Luther once said, See then how great an evil ingratitude is. It produces a love of vanity. And this love of vanity results in blindness. And blindness in idolatry. And idolatry brings about a whole whirlpool of vices. Mm-hmm. And Thanksgiving is a profound subject through all these scriptures. It's a massive. You think about the Garden of Eden. Lack of gratitude for what God had given Adam and Eve. Right? Being selfish. Not giving thanks. Not being grateful for what the Lord had given them. David Powell, he has a wonderful book called Thanksgiving. Uh, I think it's a Pauline theology or theology of Paul, something like that. He says, to give thanks to God is to remember what he has done for us. The call to Thanksgiving is therefore a call to transcend the present moment. To forget God then is to break the covenantal relationship. To remember him, on the other hand, is to move away from a focus on oneself and put God at the center of one's life. And that's all you want. You want always to be a church marked by thankfulness, by gratefulness. The last thing we want is people to come here and see a bunch of people who are ungrateful, bitter, grumblers. Amen? Amen. People who are always thanking the Lord no matter what's taking place out there. Because we know who he is. And look at who they are to thank. Oh, give thanks to whom? To the Lord. To the Lord. Our understanding of thanksgiving is always very self-centered. It's always very men-centered. We only thank someone if we receive something good from that person. The Bible shows us that the primary target of our thanksgiving is always God for who He is. And sometimes, and many times, Paul is thanking the Lord, not because of what the Lord is doing in his life, but because of what the Lord is doing in people's lives. I thank the Lord for His work among you, Paul says. He's always thanking the Lord for the work of the gospel in other people's lives. And let me tell you, that will deliver you from depression. Start focusing on other people. Focus on the goodness of God in other people's lives. The Lord, Yahweh, that's his name here in Hebrew. Give thanks to Yahweh. This name is a powerful name. You remember Moses, Exodus chapter 3. The Lord calls Moses. Moses is there trying to give his excuse. Why? No. Okay, but if I go, what is the name? What, what, what is your name that I'm going to give? And remember, that's when the Lord reveals himself as Yahweh. I am. And I am, there implies I am with you. It's the presence of God. This, this covenantal name of God implies his presence with his people. I am with you and I will be with you. Because of my covenantal faithfulness. That's what Yahweh implies. God is with his people. And that's what he shows throughout the whole book of Exodus and the rest of the Bible. And the verb there, give thanks, is in the second person, plural. 
an imperative. What does it imply? Is that an option for us? <laughs> when there's an imperative coming from the king, that's not a, a nice advice. It's a command. And we have a command to thank him. Thank him publicly. Join our voices together and praise him. Thank him. Amen? So let's move here. The who. Who is supposed to thank the Lord? And it tells us. The redeemed of the Lord. Those who are the objects of his goodness, of his loving kindness. Verse 2 and 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell this story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. Or I like the, the, the legacy or the NAS says, he who has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. That's exactly the Hebrew there. Redeemed from the hand of the enemy. All those redeemed by the Lord from the hand and the power of the enemy must join their voices together in thanking him. The word redeem is a word that we often use in the Christian circles. It's part of our lingo. Redeem, redemption, the redeemer. Amen. But sometimes we don't know what it means. So a lot of times we're using words and we don't know what it means. So they say, oh, Christ the redeemer. And then people say, well, what does he mean, redeemer? And then what do you say? What does he mean, redemption? Redeemed. Let me help you. The word redeemed, the verb there, ga'al, from where we have goel, the kinsman redeemer, pertaining to an object or person who has been delivered from danger by being purchased from indenture or slavery. This word is often used as you're buying a slave, delivering that person from that slavery where he was at. And the clearest picture, so when you think about redemption, the clearest picture that you must have in your mind is the Passover, the Exodus. That's where it's first used. And that becomes a paradigm for salvation. The Lord coming with his might and his power and through the blood of the sacrificed lamb, redeem his people, bind them from the slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh and bring them to himself to make them a kingdom of priests. The greatest manifestation of God's steadfast love is his redeeming love. Look at verse 3. Talks about the vastness of the redeem of the Lord. Let's say the universality of these people. They're not just in one location. They're all over the globe. From different nations, tribes, tongues, and situations. Look at that. Let, let, the, let the redeem of the Lord tell their story. Story, say so. Look at whom has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. All those whom the Lord brought back together that were in exile. Now he brings back together from different places. You have north, south, East, west, the four corners of the earth, symbolizing the universality of God's people coming from all places. So, starting verse 4, you, you can see in your Bibles now in verse 4, you start, he starts giving four different groups of people 
And they're telling, they're telling their story of redemption from different angles. It's all God's people, but they're telling their story of redemption from different angles. So the first group, you can see in your Bibles, verses 4 through 9, those redeemed from the famine in the wilderness. And here's a picture of God's people inability to rescue themselves from a life of deadly wandering in the wilderness. Look at that. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. A miserable life. They need a city. Why do they need a city? In ancient times, the city had walls, had protection, had water. Food, stability, protection. And apart from God's grace, we are all wondering. Look, at, look outside the church. Look at people how lost they are. Wondering. And that's us apart from God's grace. A miserable life of hunger, thirst, away from God. A life without protection. And then look in verse 7. Verse 6, then they cry to the Lord. Doesn't sound like judges. Then they cry to the Lord. Doesn't sound like our lives. Then we cry to the Lord. And the Lord delivered them from their distress. And look at the picture of an Exodus, uh, Psalm 23. And he led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. Now God brings them to his city, God's city, by his mercy and his grace. And then he says, as a result, let them thank the Lord for his hesed, his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, literally the sons of Adam. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So here becomes this, this chorus that all the congregation is supposed to be singing as they are reciting the psalm. Comes to this part and the whole congregation. What gates is that? Gates of death. The thing that sin does to us is instead of leading us to the gates of the city of God, to the gates of Zion, sin leads us to where? The gates of death. That's where they are. Oh, then they cry to the Lord. Then they cry to the Lord. And he delivered them. And look at how he delivers them. He sent out what? His word. Doesn't it sound like Isaiah 55? The word of the Lord going forth and accomplishing whatever the Lord purposes through his word. He sent out his word and healed them. And deliver them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. As we think about the Lord sending his word. And we know as you look at the progressiveness of the revelation of God. Who is this word who comes to set his people free? Christ, the incarnate word who comes. And then we have the fourth group. The fourth group, those redeemed from the chaotic waters. Those redeemed from the chaotic waters, starting verse 23. And that's the, the, the longest group here. Some went down to the sea in ships, 
doing business on the great waters. And you got to understand that the picture that we have of the waters is a place of chaos. It's a place where we have no control over. Throughout the, especially the Old Testament, water, sea, is always a picture of something that man has no power. Death, chaos. And so, that's why it's so beautiful how we see from Genesis to Revelation, the Lord who is in charge of the sea and the waters. The Spirit hovering over the deep. The Lord opening the sea. He's in charge of these things. Look at what it says, verse 27 says, And they were at their wits, wits end. <clears throat> Literally says, Their wisdom was swallowed up. No wisdom of man left here. And it's when you come to the end of all your ingenuity, all your cleverness, all your skill, they say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I like what Alec Motier says in his commentary here. He says, seafaring is a perfect picture of our experience in this life. Getting on with our lawful business when out of a clear blue sky comes the storm that upsets all our calculations, destroys our cherished comforts, leaves us helpless in the grip of totally overmastering forces. And then he says, every storm is a, is a summons to trust, for it's not a chance happening or a satanic ploy. It is his storm. And in due course, the same hand that roused the storm will still it. Every storm is a call to prayer, which, which will avail even against the mightiest opposing forces. The door of prayer will prove to be the entrance to peace. It's a beautiful imagery of life. And look at verses 28 through 30. They cry out to the Lord as always, and the Lord in his mercy comes and saves them. It says, he made the storm be still. Let them thank the Lord for his chesed, his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them, and look at, look at that. Let them extol him where? In the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. You have elders, you have people implying the whole, the whole congregation. Joining their voices, placing their voices together in thanksgiving to the Lord. So we see here four pictures. Four pictures of the redeem of the Lord. Coming from the north, south, east, west, different situations. But the picture is... You have people being delivered from the land, the sea, and then you have sinful actions in between. The four pictures taken together offer an assurance that the redeeming, unchanging love can deal with every circumstance and every condition. That's the love of the Lord and the power of Yahweh. So we saw the what, we need to give thanks, who, the redeem of the Lord, and now why? Why? And he tells us why. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, why? Why? For he is good. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. You see that for there? What is that for? Giving us the reason, explaining why we are supposed to thank him. 
And the first one is his goodness, the Hebrew tov. Very interesting word, full of prose here for us. Implies something pleasant, beautiful, delightful, generous, glad, joyful, precious, righteous, without evil. And God is good, implying there is no evil, there is nothing ugly, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that comes close to evil in Him. It's all good, perfect, beautiful. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. The Father of lights in whom there is what? No shadow variation. It's always, always good. Paul reminds us that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. He's so mighty, so good, that even the bad things that take place, God is working those bad things. Not that they're not bad, they are bad, they're evil, there are sinful things happening. But God is so good and perfect that He transforms those evil and sinful things into our good. Amen. Steve Lawson says, in his commentary, he says, in the, midst, in the midst of soul-crushing difficulties, and when surrounded by life-threatening dangers, believers must remain fixed upon the goodness of God. Let all the saints give thanks to the Lord, who remains immutably good. And that's the God that we worship. He's always good. Always good. Tov. Beautiful. Joyful. Precious. Righteous. Amen? But he's not only good, and here comes... We have two Hebrew words that are used for that. Hesed, not animus. Hesed and animus. Hesed, often translated as we saw there, loving kindness. Animus, often translated as faithfulness. But it's, it's really hard to, to translate these words. It's a pair of words that, that shows the heart of a, of a covenant. It's this loyal love, this loyal faithfulness, fidelity, uh, compassion. Paul used despair when he talks in Ephesians for the church to speak to one another. How? Speak the truth in love. People completely misuse that act. He's using the heart. Truth is amid, faithfulness. Love has that. The heart of the community of God's people is to be characterized by these two words that was all over the Old Testament. A covenantal relationship. When John tells that Jesus came, he said that he was full of what? Grace and truth. Hesed amid. But they translate as grace and truth. Full of passion, loving kindness, mercy, gentleness, and faithfulness. Throughout these scriptures, Hesed is a key aspect of God's character. One author, Catherine Seinfeld, her book, she, had, she wrote a book on this word, Hesed. The title of the book is Faithfulness in Action, Loyalty in Biblical Perspective. And because the idea is, has it is always performed. You're, God does has it. 
Ruth did chesed to Naomi. Boaz performed chesed towards Ruth and Naomi. We do chesed. We accomplished that. And you see in Psalm 107, this psalm is, is marked by the word chesed. And you see that by how the, the psalm begins and ends with this word. We are to thank the Lord for his chesed. And then towards the end, it commands us to meditate on the chesed of the Lord. So the book ends, as the book ends of Hesed. And then in between, we're supposed to thank the Lord, keeps repeating this chorus, to thank the Lord for His what? His Hesed, His steadfast love towards His people. So James Mays, in his commentary, he says, liturgically and theologically, Psalm 107 is an exaltation of the Hesed of the Lord. And then he goes on to say that Psalm 107 is not only an exaltation, but as well, an exposition of Hesed. And that's exactly what we see here. God displays His Hesed, His loving and faithful kindness. And it's and we see the beauty and the majesty against the background of suffering, persecution, affliction. That's when we see Hesed displayed. You can see that all these people are in darkness, suffering. And that's when the Hesed is displayed. You can see the light of Hesed. We say, when darkness veils his lovely face. Remember, what? Unchanging grace. Unchanging accent. Never changes. And it's when the darkness veils. And God's chesed is the heartbeat of our thanksgiving. As long as God lives, we must give thanks. Because He's chesed. God died? No. So His chesed is for all eternity. Therefore, we want to thank Him for all eternity. Thanksgiving is an eternal, eternal action that God's people have to start cultivating right now. I'll tell the church to give thanks when? Without ceasing. Give thanks? Always, in all circumstances. Right? That's the will of God. Why should we give thanks in all circumstances? God is good. First of all, He's always with us. He's always with us. And because he's always with us, his chesed is always with us. Therefore, we thank him in all circumstances. Always. That becomes a lifestyle. We thank him in all circumstances because his chesed is always present with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Remember why? Because he is with us. You are with us. Yahweh, I am with you. And the psalmist goes on to say, Therefore, goodness, goodness, and what? Hesed. Goodness and Hesed. Will follow me all the days of my life. And that's why we're thinking ours. Ours. And as we look back to this past year, 
Just like in Psalm 107, we journey through many dangerous toils in his marriage. And the Lord has said, has brought us safe thus far. Some of you here were at a fascinating meeting on April 16th, 2022, at 3 p.m. on that Saturday. We found ourselves like those who went down to the sea in ships. The waves came crushing against us, and we were at our wits' end. Our human wisdom was overwhelmed. Swallowed up. We cried to the Lord in our trouble, and guess what? He delivered us. He made the storm be still, and He brought us to our desired end. And then verses 33 to 38, you can keep reading God's wisdom and power, where He has the power and His sovereignty to turn rivers into desert, fruitful land into salt waste, and He also makes the wilderness into a pool of water and dry land into springs of water. We thank the Lord for His hesed this past 365 days that we have behind us. We have gone through many attacks, suffering, fears. Some of us came to the gates of death, rightly, very close to the gate of death, the explosion. We faced many things this past year. And in all situations, the Lord has said, held us together in the year of the cross. I like what Thomas Reiner says. He says, during this present evil age, believers face sufferings, pressures, and afflictions. Such sufferings, however, are designed to bring thanksgiving to God, who so powerfully rescued his people in and through the painful circumstances of life. So through the raging seas of 2022, the Lord Jesus has united our church in a deeper way. He has given us new members, water baptism, new brothers and sisters, aspiring membership, light in the darkness, joy and sorrow. He has provided financially, spiritually, and He has placed a new song in our hearts. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we look back, we look up in thanksgiving, and we look ahead. It's the certainty that the same has said that preserved us, will keep preserving us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of fear of uncertainties, there are so many uncertainties surrounding us, social, political, economic, global, financial, we have the certainty that this has said yeah. never ceases. This has said are new every single morning. And look at how the psalmist ends. Here's the call for a church to be wise. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider what? Steadfast. The passage of the Lord. We are commanded to pay your attention, to study God's mercies and commands. And that's all you're doing today. You're going to be a wise church. I like what Mark Pritani in his commentary says. He says, wisdom requires reflection. Those who are wise take time to reflect on life's experiences. Reflection on life's experiences provides us an opportunity to see in our lives the unfading love of the Lord. Our sin and its misery is but the backdrop against which God's love shines in all its brilliance. 
Wisdom is the skill of seeing God's unfailing love in all the twists and turns of life, of our lives. Wisdom gives thanks to the Lord because He's good and because He's unfailing love and truth forever. May we grow more and more as a wise church, a church that's always reflecting, always pondering, and always thanking the Lord for His passage, His covenantal faithfulness for us. And all these massive, beautiful topics come crushing in the Lord's Supper. As we sit at the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating what? His asset towards us. His loving kindness towards us. One of the names of the Lord's Supper is Eucharist. From the Greek verb to give thanks. But that's a wonderful opportunity. We sit at the Lord's table and give thanks to Him. For what? For what? It's sad. It's sad. It's covenantal, faithful, love, grace, mercy, all combined towards us. As I look at Psalm 107, there is no way but you see Christ being the fulfillment of all the situations here. Amen? Amen. He's the one who comes in body, John says, that he came to dwell, the word became flesh, dwell among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of love. Hasset Emmet, full of faithful love and faithfulness, truth. And all the situations here, we see how Christ, Jesus, rescues us in loving and loyal kindness from starvation in the wilderness, from the chains of death. He's the one who sets us free from the power of darkness. He's the one who rescues us from foolishness. And he's the one who rescues us from the chaotic waters. Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of Psalm 107. Amen. 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 He is the reason for giving thanks. He's the embodiment of Hesed. When you think about Hesed, our mind must go to Jesus, to cross, his sacrificial love, his covenant of faithfulness towards us. And that's what we're going to be doing as we celebrate the Lord's Amen. Amen. Let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing for us. Father, we thank you for your asset. We thank you for your goodness, your beauty, your majesty, and your hazard. Your loyal love, your covenantal faithfulness towards us. We look back and we see how undeserving we are, how we should not expect anything, and yet you give everything. You are a loving, marvelous, powerful God, and we love to worship. We love to serve you. And that's because you loved us first. Lord, we pray your blessing as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. As we come to your table as a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray that our hearts will be enlarged. We pray that we will be not only looking back, but looking around. Help us to look around, see each other, and see the headset of our faithful God in all each one's lives this year. But above all, we thank you. We thank you for your mighty mercy in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.